0: Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Coastal Catch-Ups. Today I speak with Donal who works for Fair Seas Ireland and Donal gives us an insight to the work they're doing in order to push forward legislation to get marine protected areas designated around Ireland. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It's not too technical, don't worry, um, If I know when I mentioned legislation you might maybe side went oh okay but no this is this is a good chat and you'll learn lots about our waters and the process behind what um fair seas are doing so hope you enjoy the episode and i'll catch you soon
1: Marie and the coast and sea. Life and everything in me. I
0: was wondering if we could start by getting a bit of background to yourself
1: and your relationship with the coastline. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on, Sam. Um, so yeah, my name's Donald Griffin. Um, I'm living in Tyrone at the minute. Um, in West Tyrone, and a little village called Drumquin. Um, and I'm from Clannabogan, but uh, so not quite near the sea or on the coast. Uh, but I fell in love with the sea actually. Much later in life than a lot of people. A lot of people have stories of going rock pooling and when they were kids and stuff like that. But unfortunately, that's not my story. Um, I was actually did um, was at Queen's University in Belfast and um, was doing biological sciences. And I thought I wanted to be a teacher, actually. Um, or I did want to be a teacher at the time. Um, and when I was doing the biological sciences course, I was drawn as 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 the first year went on. I was drawn more and more towards the environmental modules and options of cl- different classes that I had, and within that again, I was drawn towards the classes that had um this field work, this field element. Um, so Queens have a Queens University have a a fantastic marine lab down in Port Ferry on the shores of uh, Frankford Lock, and I spent quite ended up spending quite a bit of time down there so I've often told people in the past I fell in love with the sea on the rocky shore of Frankford <laughs> and Porta ferry um and um so that's and I never looked back then I changed my course in biological sciences to um marine biology graduated there I did um, a master's degree with my thesis and my, my research project was on basking sharks and that's when I about uh 14 years ago now actually, I actually started volunteering my time with the Irish Bassing Shark Group. And I'm a coordinator with the Bassin Shark Group now, as well as my my day job with Fair Seas uh coalition, but we'll get on to that. Um and then yeah, since then just kind of did all sorts of odd odd jobs <laughs> in terms of marine biology. I've been out at sea doing uh mammal, uh, marine mammal uh survey work and seabird survey work. Um Environmental science stuff, um, and then went back in 2014 to do a PhD at Queen's. So I'm a bit of a Queen's lifer, really, um, and then and that involved a lot of time spent in the, on the Irish Sea with the Agri Food and Biosciences Institute research vessel the Christies, um, and then since then, after that, I kind of slowly my career trajectory changed from. I guess the more practical and the fishery science side of it that I was really interested in at the time to the policy side of it and that's where I've landed now very squarely in the policy uh, marine policy uh, marine conservation policy and campaigning and advocacy as well for for change for positive change for the marine so um it's been a it's been a, um it's been a wild ride um but I'm very fortunate in that I've spent a lot of time in the field, and got to travel the world a little bit with on that as well on that basis. But now I'm mostly in my spare bedroom in Drunquin um, on Zoom calls. <laughs> well, just imagine a nice seaside
0: uh, picture background there for you. Don't know. <laughs> That's what I need. I need
1: more of that. There's a in my I'm not in my office now, but in my office, um, at home, there's a lovely jellyfish painting that my uh, a friend of mine did. For me and um, I did my PhD on the interactions of fish and jellyfish in the Aery Sea. Um, so my friend painted me a lovely uh, compass jellyfish so um, it hangs just above my head when I'm on Zoom calls.
0: <laughs> Very good. So you're men- you mentioned about the change between the science, the practical science side, the policy. Did that come about because of a job opportunity or did you, did you kind of feel, I could imagine being in the policy side you're kind of driving for change is that something you wanted to to do then
1: Uh, i think if i'm being completely honest i should say yes shouldn't i but yeah uh, uh, no uh, no you uh, don't you shouldn't say yes it's the uh, the honest answer is no that it came about completely by chance really because as i said i finished my phd in 2019 in the end it took me five years um should have took me a bit shorter than that but that's the way things go um and at that time, I was had moved to England. My wife had got a job in England. And she's was in academia as well. So, you know, you kind of have to just go where you're where you can when you're in academia um, and in a relationship. So and when I went over there, there was one Marine Bell, I was in the middle of Nottinghamshire. So again, it couldn't <laughs> be further from the coast. Uh, and there was one marine biology job came up. Like I swear, twenty five minutes down the road from me. And when I first saw it, I was like, "Is this a mistake? What is going on here? Why is there a marine conservation job twenty five minutes down the road here in the heart of Nottingham? Like when you're just surrounded by wheat and barley and maize kind of thing." Um, and it was because it was for the Wildlife Trust that I work. Um, and the Wildlife Trusts are a fantastic charity organization across the entire uk they have there's 46 different independent trusts and they all kind of come together then and have a central team central team called the wildlife trust um so i got a job for the central team that was based in nottinghamshire but it was a A central team role in marine conservation so that was fantastic because it was just down the road uh, for me of course but um it was actually a brilliant opportunity because i got up uh, i was embedded then not only in um the 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 conservation the marine conservation side of england where i was living but actually the whole of the uk was plugged into what was happening in Scotland and Wales and even Northern Ireland which I was you know excited about um coming from Northern Ireland so um and that got me not only to know the issues but to know people and to, to connect to people all around the UK and many of them I'm still very much friends with um I was actually at a conference recently I met up with quite a few of them which is really nice and that that's you know I left the Wildlife Trust back in 20 early 2020 so four years ago so um so that's kind of, and that job I should say then with the Marine Conservation Officer job, it had an element of policy in it. Um, It wasn't full or it wasn't complete policy job um, or a campaigning or, or an advocacy job, but it had elements of all those. So it was a really good opportunity to kind of get to know and get to grips with all these different elements of Marine Conservation that I had never had experienced before. My experience Marine Conservation was very much a scientific endeavor until that point so and then it just went from there to there i got a job um a similar role came up in northern ireland with the northern ireland marine task force and it's a fantastic um project um ran uh with ulster wildlife and rspb northern ireland and it's coalition so there's other partners as well uh, in northern ireland but that's on marine policy and um It's really, it's really Actually, quite an old project now. It started about maybe seventeen years ago, which is a really long running project when you think about the NGO sector, um, the charity sector. But it's absolutely fantastic work and paved the way for, um, uh, as a leading example, even at the UK level. Um, so I did that for a while, and then I moved now to where I am, Fair Sea. So a very similar job again, a coalition of NGOs and charities and networks in the the republic of ireland and we are advocating and campaigning for for change as you said um to do with marine policy and the big issue down south at the moment is the new forthcoming marine protected area legislation for ireland so um that's what keeps that's what keeps me and my team busy these
0: days what is the driver behind that Um, i saw target mentioned um but i can't remember what it was
1: yeah so well Firstly, I guess Fair Seas is a as a coalition um, of different ENGOs, so environmental non governmental organisations in in, uh, in the Republic. So we have um, seven different partners um, or, or coalition member or coalitions made up seven different partners, um, and I'm sure your listeners will have he- know a lot of them. There's the Irish Whale Dolphin Group, Bird Watch Ireland, Irish Wildlife Trust. There's Streamscapes. There's Coast Watch. Um, the Sustainable Water Network, the Irish Environmental Network. So I think that's them all. I Didn't miss any. Um. So and there, these are all organisations that have that have been working on conservation and also marine conservation issues in Ireland for for decades. Um. So we're actually really, I'm really lucky to be working with a whole host of of organisations that have that experience and and breadth of knowledge and and know how, um, and credibility as well that i can leverage you know to be completely honest that's the point and that's the usefulness of a coalition so mm-hmm. it, but fair seas came together about three years or three and a half years ago now it was a it's the first of its kind project in ireland um to, of, of these ngos coming together to work specifically on marine protected areas um and there has been coalitions of other kinds, of course there's lots of coalitions in ireland when it comes to the NGO, but this was has a focus on marine and in particular marine protected areas and it came along at the right time um because as you said the the program the the current government and the republic um in their program for government so what they have stated they want to do in the lifetime of their of the of their own coalition government is to designate 30 percent of air and seas as a marine protected area by 2030 so that's in line with Uh, lots of different agreements now most latestly the cbd um the convention on biological diversity uh, agreement uh last december or a year over a year ago now um the post um 2020 global framework for biodiversity it's in the eu biodiversity strategy um it's in yeah it's 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 the target now when it comes to biodiversity It's protected areas, protecting 30% of our sea on land, sorry, protecting 30% of our our areas on land and at sea. So, and that's, the government is committed to that. Um, so in that sense, we, we were pushing on an open door the Mm -hmm. government had agreed to do something and we were there to make sure that they did it, um, or they will do it and that they will do it right in the right way. Um, so, i guess the for the irish government perspective how were they going to achieve that 30 by 30 target because when and back in 2020 uh, and even up until about 18 months ago the the irish the, the ireland's um marine area uh, in its totality which is quite big which is its exclusive economic zone is quite big uh it was there was only 2.1 ish percent of that whole um marine area as designated as a marine protected area and that was either a sac and a special area of conservation or an spa a special protection area so those are just two different types of mpa i know there's a lot of jargon here but mm-hmm. um it's just it, it can get quite technical mm-hmm. uh, so that was quite low and that's actually one of the lowest percentage coverages of all the member states in then in, the, in the european union so the government were thinking, right, well, how are we actually going to increase that to 30% in less than a decade? Mm-hmm. And one way, quite rightly, that they identified in doing that was through um, the, the the creation of a new law that would allow Ireland to designate new marine protected areas on a national basis and not through EU basis. Mm-hmm. SACs and SPAs are born out of EU legislation, Whereas this new forthcoming legislation will allow Ireland to, to act on their own unilaterally to designate these areas. Um and of course they'll have to consult on various measures to do with management. And the big one being fishing, you know, um, you know, that will involve cooperation with the EU, but these designations themselves will be will be will will can and will be progressed at a national level. Um so that's what we're all pinning our hopes on, on achieving that 30-30 target. But of course, the target itself isn't anything. The target really, the overarching aim of the target is to protect marine biodiversity, um, a representative, um, you know, amount and um, coverage of what we have typically here naturally in Ireland. Um, so I guess we're, that was 2020 when they put that in their program for government. Um, a little while after that, fair seas began, and we're in 2024 now. The second of February it is, and the legislation uh, has still the the first the first draft of the bill, the mm-hmm. forthcoming bill has still not been published. So there was a general scheme published of the bill last, um, actually uh, December of 2022. Um And it went through various uh, steps thereafter, including going through the Joint Oireachtas Committee for legislative, pre legislative scrutiny. Um, mm-hmm. But since, and that finished up in March last year. So we're coming up to a year now where there has, we haven't seen any more and there's been no public advancement of that legislation. So Fair Seas is working very hard to make sure that it stays in top priority for the government. And that it stays in the top of people's minds, um, generally in in the public, but we do believe there has been some great progress in drafting the bill, mm-hmm. um, that the bill is ready to be published now and that it's complete, um, but we just haven't got there in terms of it being published yet. So mm-hmm. that's something that the fair Seas is very attuned to, uh, but we're we're being told, um, towards the end of March this year is when we should expect it. So fingers crossed. And then when it is published, um, you know that's when the hard work begins, really. Um, it's when to make sure that it is passed through the the Irish parliamentary procedures in the Dáil and in the Shannon, the upper and lower houses of Irish Parliament, um, and enacted into law. And that whatever, whatever the final iteration of the bill looks like, you know, through amendments and changes and everything else. That it actually delivers what it needs to deliver, that it actually provides the framework and the structure and the the know how and the resourcing um to designate MPA's properly, to manage enforce you know um monitor MPA's properly and for that all to be couched in effective um stakeholder engagement you know with the likes of ourselves like but more importantly the local communities on the coast and industry and businesses and groups and and everyone that needs to be involved really and that that's not that's not an easy thing um but it's definitely necessary
0: so is this an opportunity for Ireland to lead the way by by the way you mentioned about having its own national legislation then the idea is to make it quicker is that fair to say and therefore lead the way in marine protection
1: I think it is definitely an opportunity for the Irish government and for Ireland mm-hmm. to, to to really to lead, as you say, and to be a world leader on this. Um, there are many countries around the world that already have national legislation that, you know, uh, in Northern Ireland, for example, uh, you can designate, the government can designate MCZs, some marine conservation zones, and that's under the the Marine Act in Northern Ireland of two thousand and thirteen, or something like that, I can't quite remember. Um, think, yeah. there's a similar, there's a similar one in um in the UK, the Marine Um Coastal Access Act. Um, there's a Marine Scotland Act of uh, two thousand and ten. So they are all national legisl very in the devolved regions of the UK that allows these uh, MCZs in Scotland, Wales, and uh, and England. And then in Scot, uh, sorry, in Northern Ireland, Wales and England, and then in Scotland, it's, um they have different names for, for the different national um types of MPAs there. So we wouldn't be leading in the sense that it's not, it, w- it wouldn't, Ireland wouldn't be leading in the sense of just having this legislation, because there's lots of other countries um in the EU and the UK and all around the world that have it. But what they could do now is, because things move on, I guess, and we kind of learn more as we go. Marine protected areas, they're not new, but they're they're there's still a lot unknown about the best way and the circumstances in which they should be rolled out and the benefits and, and how and where and when and how much you protect all these different questions. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of evidence out there now, but there's also still um a lot unknown. So we can actually use learn lessons from all around the world now to make our legislation stronger than any other legis- legislations out there we have no excuses why we wouldn't or couldn't do that um so there is an absolutely an opportunity for it to be world leading in the terms of what what is included in the legislation uh, but then even more important than that I would argue is we can be world Ireland can be world leading in its implementation of mm-hmm. the law because it's a, it's one thing to have a law that's good you may have a law that's bad but you could have a fantastic law altogether, but if it's not implemented after the fact and it's just left on the shelf and there's no the, the powers in it aren't, you know, um you know dished out properly, or if the implementation isn't there and the structures for implementation aren't there and there's no money for implementation, then your law's not really any good either. You may as well have a bad law, you know, it doesn't make any difference. So we're thinking about well, fair seas obviously at the moment it's about get the bill published make the law strong and then pass it into law uh, or sorry to make the bill strong and then pass it into law. Uh, but we are also, of course, uh, thinking about the, the, what comes next and in terms of implementation and how that piece of implementation is, is difficult. Um, it's not easy, but you know, as I said, we can learn the lessons and, and, and see how other people have done it and, and do things that worked well and not do other things that didn't, um, and that stakeholder piece that piece about engaging with the communities you know um and who to engage with how to do it at what level do you um and how and what yeah there's a lot of questions there how do you do effective stakeholder consultation and there's a lot in that and it's not it's not there's no one size fits all there's probably principles of how you do it well but there's actually on the ground there's there's not one way you can do it, so um it takes a bit of thinking there and it will probably take a bit of flexibility as well. but what we know is the more effective stakeholder engagement you can, the better it is for societies um that are involved, but also actually better for the the features you want to protect because mm-hmm. with if with with good stakeholder involvement comes support of mm-hmm. the the, the site or whatever you're trying to do that comes um, and with guarded MPAs with that then comes support for the MPA uh, a level of of pride in the local community in this in, in the marine protected area and their local area and with that then comes self-govern you know self-reporting um, self-policing um you know you're just giving the MPA the best opportunity to be successful then um but if you have a marine protected area on the coast and you know no one knows about it so there no one really changes their behavior or pays any attention to what they do or how they treat you know wildlife in it then you know that's that's not ideal so yeah. there's a lot in there there's a lot to do um and we're very attuned to what is coming next but uh, fair seas generally but at the moment of course it's very squarely or focuses very squarely on the, the the legislation yeah you mentioned earlier about the work starts once you get this
0: the real work starts once you get it yeah. implemented because I've, I've had experience myself with plans let's just say and trying to implement them on the ground and that's where it, uh it's really easy to pay lip service to policies and laws in a report on paper but actually implementing it on the ground that's a difficult part so um no that's uh, looking forward the Seeing how that works, and I, I think we're like, like you said as well, about having a coalition with all these different specialisms around you, as well, is such an important thing, as well, Donald. Um, and at the end, there, yes, you also answered one of my questions about the relationship between communities, coastal communities, mm-hmm. and the importance of protecting the coastline. Um, self placing, every time I hear about self placing, I'm like a picture of an angry mob pops it pops into my head but it's not the case it's it's like it's educating community members it's making them aware of like you say the laws and what features are trying to protect so yeah um yeah i think but just before we I did want to chat a bit about communities but in terms of the actual risks around coastline and irish waters i know there's probably a long list but for you what are the main things that need to be honed in on
1: oh yeah it is a long list um well if we start first of all i mean when i think of risks and that i think of threats and pressures really that's what I kind of feel like in the marine environment um and generally speaking if i can to bring it back to marine protected areas like the implementation of marine protected areas. there there are lots of marine protected areas up north and down south um some of them are well managed others aren't um and I think a risk is that we don't manage our marine protected air- we don't manage marine protected areas well um and that that the perception then amongst the public and coastal communities is that they're not worth it, whereas actually you know, they are worth it. And even um, an area that you remove pressures from and the 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 recovery that we would like to see isn't obvious. Um, it, it takes time. And that actually non-regression further is still a good thing as opposed to if you hadn't had the marine protected area there at all. The counterfactual argument, well, where would, what state would the environment be there anyway. So I think the, the implementation and to make sure we get that stakeholder engagement and communication part right to 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 concrete the fact in people's minds that marine protected areas are needed and they do work. So that's a more general one. But then when we talk about individual pressures, I think water quality on our coasts is a big air, uh, issue um as i'm not involved or have never really been involved in water quality um kind of science or policy directly um but i know it is a big issue especially in parts around northern ireland um and can have an impact then on the very features around our coast that we want to protect inside or outside of marine protected areas um you know lakes of seagrass or um even salt marsh and, and other um reef farming habitats or um you know individual species so water quality but then there's all and along with that then pollution uh plastic pollution but also runoff um you know nutrient runoff from from land um so i mean and then other than that then from a marine, purely marine perspective there's fishing you know and not fishing overfishing or unsustainable fishing um is a problem and i think there's been a lot of progress done actually in in the northeast atlantic and through the the through the eu the common fisheries policy and through adhering not always but um adhering a lot of the time to the advice of the international council for the exploration of the sea acs that um, that kind of decide what the quotas are for fishing and, and totally liable catches and everything, is that it, it gets, fishing gets a lot of, it's um, a lot of bad press, um, but actually a lot of, most fishermen just do what they can, um, mm-hmm. and it's up to, it's up to policy, it's up to government decision making, and it's up to policy making to make sure that what fishing, that the fishing industry can do is actually sustainable um and there has been a lot of progress absolutely in the northeast atlantic but there's still a long way to go um and then the the other risk i guess is around our coast and especially in the area sea um will talk about that for a second is the expansion of offshore renewable energy um you know that's a an industry um that is very small at the minute in terms of what infrastructure they have in the water in ireland um but actually have huge plans and quite rightly you know that's good we're all very supportive of offshore renewable energy providing clean green renewable energy for us all to use you know for doing everything in our lives um but there's a, a and to, of course introduce our carbon emissions that we need to do to tackle climate change. Climate change itself, which hasn't is going to have an impact on marine biodiversity. So, I mean, this is all good. But there is, it, it matters, again, in the way we do it. And it matters um, what impact it has on the marine environment. Um, and there are impacts, so the same, what, what, no matter what activity you do in the marine environment, there is a potential impact somewhere. Um, so, uh, that's a risk, but I, I feel like one that can be managed. And for a change it, it's it, it's a it's a risk um that that brings its own benefits in terms of the climate and the the clean energy and the the carbon reduction um uh, so yeah it's there's a lot out there to be to be that we need to be wary of and we need to do right but there's also a lot to be hopeful of as i said actually there's lots of good news stories in terms of the the fisheries in northeast atlantic that are actually um, much better managed now than they used to be in terms of water quality stuff and how we um how we treat water and how we um and how we manage um runoff into the sea. Although it doesn't always work great, and we have Loch Ness as an example of how we have a lot of work to do in Northern Ireland and other places as well. Um, but then also there's there's lots of fantastic conservation um and restoration projects. Around the coast now, and north and south of the border, oysters, seagrass salt marsh, um, you know, flapper skate, um, tuna. You know, there's all these sorts of of projects that are going on for to the benefit of marine species, habitats, and ecosystems, and that's just to be to be welcomed. Um, so I think that's what we need to focus on, but to to always be wary and pragmatic to the dangers and the risks that there, there are there as well mm-hmm.
0: yeah it's it's good at this stage when there's good news stories like that coming out and then there's obviously all this work still to come so yeah more stories like this will emerge no doubt um it was interesting about the i'm sure offshore wind developers will be interested in all this legislation if they're trying to pick and choose where they
1: can build but maybe that's a story for another day perhaps no no you're absolutely right we talk about it all the time and it's actually we something we try to communicate as well as much as we can that i think there's a perception out there driven by i don't know who but um that the you know the the conservation ngo sector are at loggerheads with the wind energy sector um and that's in Republic. It's certainly not true at all. Um, they they want this NPA legislation through as soon as we do. Maybe even yep. more. They want it. Yes. In some ways, yeah. because it provides them certainty mm-hmm. um, about what is coming down the line and what they need to do. Because ultimately, these are big. You know, when it comes to offshore wind, these are big companies and they have money. They have resources. You tell them you need to do X, Y, and Z to save the environment, they'll do X, Y, and Z to save the environment. It's, it's pretty much as straightforward as that. Um, and often they will try to go an extra mile where they can to do, you know, I was at a conference last week and there was talks about different ways to get biodiversity net gain. So when you're when you're um, develop, having a development at sea, you know, your impact can you, your impact can be negative in terms of, okay, you're having a, a detrimental impact on the environment, or it can be neutral where you have an impact, but you mitigate or do what you need or compensate so that overall, in theory, there's no net impact or you could have a net gain where actually you do your development, but you make, you do it in such a way and do extra stuff so much so that, actually net there's a positive impact there on the environment so you know and and that's something that certainly in the UK it seems um that the industry are driving and want no want to know more on so they they can do more of that in their own projects and plans so no so at the moment at least very much so fair seas i speak for fair seas um are very much in the same place with the 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 wind industry, Ireland, offshore wind industry down south. We want the certainty. And actually, like us, I bet the the wind industry are thinking, God, I wish we had these MPAs all in place now, Um, you know, 10 years ago so that they would know exactly where these are going to be. So they want mm-hmm. the legislation that'll give the framework, but that still won't give them the answer about where exactly these sites will be. They'll have, we'll all have to wait a bit longer for that. Mm-hmm. So um, we're, at the minute, we're, Certainly, uh, singing off the same hymn sheet, and um, it w- it wouldn't surprise me if that went on for longer. But um, there are risks um when it comes to offshore wind. Um, fortunately, I think they're manageable. Um, and I think we're able to avoid and mitigate them to a very large extent. Um, but we still need we need to do that. We we can't we can't just sit on our hands and hope that that happens as well. So. That's something that Fair Seas has been doing a little bit of work on, um, and we're hoping to publish our offshore renewable energy policy position soon. But, um, it it's it, it, it's um it's a big piece of work that Aaron's going to have to get to grips with fairly soon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, looking forward to seeing the policy statement that will be. Um, I yeah, it's an important issue like we were saying earlier about climate change and whole, uh, decarbonizing our energy grids like it it has to be done some way and uh do it in a collaborative way between um all the different parties environmental parties energy groups um is very important um don't know i was reading a report or maybe it was an article and i can't really it shows how much memory i have um about hope
1: spots mm. is that something you know about and could you tell me a bit more about it yeah, of course. Um, so we have a hope spot. <laughs> we have, no, that's not the right way to phrase it at all. Um, Fair Seas applied to have a, a hope spot um, in Ireland. So hope spots are these areas all around the world that have been assigned by um, a kind of a, an ENGO in itself, a conservation charity born out of um, America called uh, Mission Blue. Mm-hmm. And Mission Blue is led by the legendary oceanographer and marine biologist Sylvia Earle. Um, so she's kind of a, a celeb in the marine biology, marine um, sphere and bubble. Um, and she started this charity and she highlights these areas all around the world that are deserving of the recognition of a hope spot. So these are areas that we can be hopeful for that if we protect them right, and manage them right, that they could be really fantastic areas full of biodiversity and really show uh, what the sea is capable of if we protect them and do things right and don't, you know um get in the way with our own human endeavors and activities and pressures and threats like we just mentioned. Um, so there I think there are over four hundred hook spots all around the world. Um, I think there's one or two, I think it might be one in Scotland. Um, there was none in Ireland. Um there's a few dotted around the EU and there's ones all around the world. Um, but we applied um was two years ago now. Um we submitted, I guess it is, a hope spot in the southwest of um of Ireland. It was an area of interest that we had identified as being really biodiverse uh, and species rich and and abundant um uh in terms of whales, porpoise, uh, dolphins, uh, sharks uh seabirds pretty much every big marine group you had um it was all there down off the southwest well, off the coast of Kerry and Clare and and right now it is absolutely fantastic amazing area with stunning coastline as well um so we we gathered all the the scientific evidence there um and we submitted that to be considered to be um de- like designated a as a hope spot or labeled a hope spot and we were successful. So it was fantastic. Um, So that's the greater Skellig coast includes the, the Skelligs down off Kerry. Um, It's called the greater Skellig coast hope spot. And you know, that doesn't, it, it doesn't change anything there. It's a hope spot. It, it's a, it's an ambition. You might say it's an ambition label. Um, I think there was maybe some confusion at the time when we announced it, that this meant that this area was protected or that it, now, management wasn't placed miraculously some way. Well, unfortunately, that was our failing and not communicating that better because it doesn't mean anything other than it identifies the southwest coast of Ireland um, as being one of the most important places in the world, you know, for, de- for protection from marine biodiversity. It puts it up there in the same um, category as the Great Barrier Reef. Parts of the Great Barrier Reef are hope spots. There's parts of um, in the Pacific around those um, atolls and 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 islands out in the middle of nowhere that are virtually untouched. The, you know these are places that are hope spots, and so is uh, a stretch of the southwest coast of Ireland, and rightly so because we have absolutely amazing biodiversity here off our coast uh, all around the island. So um, yeah, it was really exciting, and it still is really exciting, and hopefully, when we get this new forthcoming bill and legislation eventually into law that there will be in that because it's quite a large hope spot this area that we've identified between Clare and County Kerry um there will be at least one designation in there I'm not convinced that the boundary as we've drawn it will be the boundary of a new marine Mm -hmm. protected area I feel like that's unlikely but I do believe very much so that within that, there will be a designation in there somewhere to protect. I mean, there's just some fantastic bays in there. Um, you have all sorts of um, sharks, skates and rays. Um, I think it, it's a prime candidate for one of maybe the first tranche of new marine protected areas if, when we get them, maybe in a few years' time. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting journey. And it was nice, I think, for Ireland to be recognized that actually we are... Up there, um, you know, in the, the the big documentaries that we see, you know, I think people think about Australia or they think of South America or in the Pacific or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Whereas actually, you know, when we have them, so the documentaries made around the coast of Ireland and we have some of the f- most fantastic marine life um, um, that you can imagine from blue whales, the biggest animal on the planet, you know, right down to or or shellfish and our um prawns and our you know our fish and cod and tuna now and all sorts so it's an awesome initiative
0: and i think it instills a sense of pride Mm. of people that find out about it and like you say brings it up to the same level as all those sites you, you typically see in a nature documentary and uh The other side of the world, and I think if it brings it up there um it it will
1: bring people along with your campaign as well. Well, um, Absolutely, and that's actually a really important point. Um that uh that I should have mentioned is that it, it allowed us then to communicate and talk about this area um in a in a focused way and to show, not just to say, oh, this is amazing, you know. But actually, no, it's not just us saying this now, this is like the most legendary world-renowned marine biologist that has literally been in every continent in the world looking at marine biology is taken on trips to see all sorts of the most fantastic marine biodiversity you've ever seen Uh, but you know from her and her board and her her blue mission um, that actually she's looked at the evidence and she will actually hear this 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 deserves protection too so it's been a nice way to communicate with the local communities there. And we've heard, we've held lots of um, kind of local events in that area now, which is really fantastic. And we've actually made a film about the area as well, like a mini, it's like a 14 minute uh, film that uses the community voice method to speak to local people in the local area about, about the area, about the sea and about the, about Marine protectors generally. And it's just fascinating then, when you put all that together, the greater scale cope spot the video the 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 mini film um and it, it gives it like a, a um a center of mass then to 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 start those conversations and what you find then when you start those conversations that there's way more people interested and want to be involved than you think that they know way more than you think or you knew um and that that you know that there's such an appetite there to to protect the sea uh, and that they are way more attuned to the issues um, than, you know, anyone could be like the likes of me sitting up on Tyrone, for example, of course. Like, it just makes total sense. So it's a nice way to plug into those people um, for, them to, for, for them to use us in terms of we can bring that the hope spot um, spotlight. um. But then for us really, then uh, in a two way transaction to use them to amplify their calls and wants for protection and to bring that to, you know, the powers that be to hopefully create change. So it has been a really fantastic initiative actually. And, um, um, you know, we, we just took a punt, uh, you know, if we're completely honest, a couple of years ago and it worked out and we're really glad it did because it's, 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 it's been much more than the sum of its parts now. It's brought us and connected connected us with lots of other people and stories and opportunities that we just wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear about those stories. are bubbling to the surface once something like that comes to light and uh, the knowledge it will be in those coastal communities will be vital for um the campaign going forward. Just... Before we finish, you mentioned about the likes of that video being published. If anyone wanted to find out more about Fair Seas,
1: where can they go to find out more and perhaps get involved? Absolutely. Um, great question. So we have our website, so it's www.fairseas.ie. So you'll find links to all sorts of stuff there, all our um our blogs and our communications and our recent press releases and statements. Um and also um uh, you'll find links then to our YouTube channel, which is where you'll find all our videos. Um, so we have the Greater Scale Egg Spot, the Kingdom of Kerry, um, a very vid- uh, film it's called, um, and the- we also have other videos um, similar. Ten to fifteen minute document, mini documentaries. One from the northwest that's premiering next week in Letterkenny, actually. So that'll be exciting. Um, and there's one that will come later in the year based off of the, the southeast of Wexford. So um, you'll find all our videos and content there. And then, of course, then there's, there's our socials. So um, everything we do then is 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 put on up online on our Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn um and probably others that I'm not aware of. Um so it's all on there. Um so yeah absolutely um check us out. And then if you want to get involved, you want to support us in our mission um to to progress or well for Ireland to achieve our 30 30% and a big part of that in our view being this new national legislation. And we have a petition running at the minute and it's a petition that you can Put your name to um sign up to support us, and it's calling on the the minister, Darrow Brain, to get on and publish this legislation and to enact it and uh, to pass it into law. Um and that's been really fantastic, actually, because it's been we've been running that petition since last um September. Um and in the first uh I think it was four weeks, it was just under a month, we had 30,000 signatures worldwide and it was over 12 it was just under 12,000 of those from Ireland Um, so that was fantastic we met the minister we showed look at the appetite of people in Ireland and around the world that actually want us Ireland to do this right Um, so that's been taken along ever since um, the petition we're sharing it at every chance we get but now in the new year and we still don't have the 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 bill published, the forthcoming bill published. That we're having a renewed push on that now. So I encourage everyone to to look it up, um, or petition, sign it, share with friends. And if we can get, um, our aim is to get up near the twenty thousand Irish signatures mark, um, over the next six weeks. And if we do that, that's just more evidence, um, and and gives the government less excuses um and no wriggle room that you know it's very clear what the Irish people want in terms of looking after our sea so that would be a huge help so and you can also sign out our newsletter all those details are on our website so there's lots of ways to get involved but the the newsletter and the petition that's two good ways to start. Awesome thank you very much Donald um so yeah
0: anyone listening that wants to find out more um head over to those um online spaces I just want to say thank you very much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and your passion and the mission that Pharisees has. Um, hopefully people listening have found out about, perhaps heard about this for the first time, which is great. Um, perhaps they just want to find out a bit more about it, which is also welcome. But um, I just want to say good luck. I'll be keeping tabs and the progress and
1: um, yeah. And best of luck. Brilliant, thank you very much Sam, it was a pleasure talking with you
0: So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Donal, the one thing I took away from it is well, firstly I'm excited to see after the bill gets passed in government the work on the ground that will happen to implement these protection sites and for me i'm excited to see how the coastal communities around ireland get involved in this scheme and how they can play a role in protecting their own seas along their stretch of the coastline that's really exciting i'm looking forward to seeing what happens there in other news we have a coastal catch-up happening at the end of february here at and Beach in County Down. So if you're interested in meeting up with some folks for a chat and a walk, um, feel free to come along. There is a WhatsApp group where I post times and details and do a preliminary weather check a couple of days before. So if you're interested in getting involved in that, um, feel free, you'll find a link on the website or on any of the social media sites. And uh, lastly if you've enjoyed this episode please give it a like or a review or a share or ping it to a friend that you think might find it interesting and perhaps you are studying this sort of stuff or they just have a keen interest in our coastline so i'd really appreciate that if you could take the time to do that and that's it for now thank you very much and i'll catch you soon